Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. I've got with me filmmaker Bruce Webb. Hello, Bruce. Hi there. Nice to see you. Um, now, this is a bit different from the usual format where we talk about somebody who has got a film to promote. Um, Bruce has got a bit of a different story to tell, one that I think is of interest to British film, which is obviously what BritFlix is all about. But first, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, Bruce, and who you are as a filmmaker first? Yeah, sure. I'm... Um... <clears throat> I guess I consider myself a director now. Um, I'm, I, I have been a producer in another life. I've produced, uh, I was looking at today, about seven or eight feature films over the last 20 years and um, more recently decided to get into directing and directed a short film and then went on to direct a feature about three or four years ago, which I've sort of sold around the world, taken to festivals. Um, one What's few, that called? One a few bits and bobs. Uh, that was called The Be All and End All. Um, and uh, still available on iTunes and other, and other good uh, DVD retailers. So I'm yeah. First of all, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, but uh, uh, and I and I also direct little bits of TV when it comes along. Mm. Right, I've written a couple of new scripts for myself. So I'm uh, coming for, coming at this whole project from a rather strange angle. So I'm a filmmaker that's uh, possibly about to become a cinema proprietor. So yeah, so a cinema proprietor. That's a different na- a different narrative than we're expecting from most of our guests. So do you want to tell us what that entails and how you're coming to be in this position? Yeah, um, I'll keep the story as short and succinct as possible. Um, basically, I live, I spend my time uh, between the Isle of Wight and Elephant Castle. So, um, Elephant uh, Castle in London. In London, yeah. And uh, in the road where I walk back to the station in Sandown in the Isle of Wight is a beautiful old Art Deco cinema. And I've looked at it on a daily basis for the last 10 years uh, and thought, oh, wouldn't that be brilliant to uh, reopen that? Um, because there is no cinema in Sandown or Shanklin anymore, or any of the local towns. There's about 15, 15 to 20,000 people that don't have access to a cinema and nobody who has access to an art house cinema. But there's very good cinema clubs around the island in mm. small villages. So I've walked past this gorgeous building uh, on, a, on a pretty much uh, bi-weekly basis and uh, it came up for sale about 18 months ago and I thought, I have to have a look inside at least pretend that I want to buy it so I can look at it before it goes. And uh, went inside, discovered that the screen's still there, the projection room's still there, the rake flooring's still there, the balcony's still there. You know, all of the fire exits are still there, the, the bar, the kit, you know, it's all basically intact inside. And uh, started oh, to do where, where does it date back to? Well, 
It was originally built as an Odd Fellows Hall in the mid nineteenth century, and okay. then it was converted in nineteen twenty one uh, to a cinema. Okay. Which took the form of just having a normal <coughs> community hall with a big screen at the end, yeah, with four hundred to five hundred seats in, very smoky sort of atmosphere, and then. Just before the Second World War, when it was still trying to find out the exact date, they converted it to Art Deco. They, they basically put a fan front on it, put in the, the striped edge screen, yeah, yeah. and um, and and then it became what it what it is today. So I'd had a look at it. Um, was gobsmacked about how original it was inside, and um, uh, it made the owner a very stupidly low offer three, uh, probably a third of the actual asking price. Because I realised that's I can't afford even I couldn't even afford that. I just thought, well, I'll. Might as well try my luck. He said no, and I uh, and I went away very sad. And I was hoping someone else would come along and buy it. And then about two or three weeks ago, um, the local councillor asked for it to be pulled down and the conservation notice on the building to be taken away. So pretty sad stuff, really. We're facing one of the last Art Deco cinemas in Britain, mm. one of the oldest on the island, one of the oldest in south of southern, south, southern Britain, to be knocked down when it's all there. It wasn't a case of trying to rebuild an art deco cinema or restore it all you had to do was take a mezzanine floor out and a stairwell and you had a cinema again so i put in another offer which i can't afford and he said yes this time so um this is basically where i am i'm sort of <laughs> you know slightly terrified that i'm now uh have had this offer accepted on this beautiful old building and mm. it's my responsibility to um to really reopen it and i've put my money where my mouth is and selling what i can and I've started up a crowdfunding appeal. So uh, where, where is the crowdfunding appeal? Uh, the crowdfunding appeal is on Indiegogo and also rivoleycinema.co.uk. That's Rivoli as in the place in Italy, R-I-V. Okay. R-I. And, uh, but the Isle of Wight being what it is, uh, sort of place it is, quite a few people want to, you know, hand out checks or postal orders, believe it or not, and the old pound note and the old pound coin. And uh, so we're also going out with buckets and, Going onto the streets uh, of the island and maybe may well be showing some Isle of Wight Film Festival uh, films in London as well and having fundraisers. So, uh, so what's what's the target for your Indiegogo? The target on Indiegogo is two hundred and fifty thousand, which is a very large amount of money. That's what we're aiming for. If we don't get it, uh, we can still uh, definitely save the building. But what happens if we don't get it is we have the building, but we can't necessarily fit it out to how we want it. Okay. We'd love to be able to fit it out with uh with you know obviously second hand but high high tech seats, high tech DCP or DCI projection. That's what what does that stand for? That's digital cinema uh P projection, yeah, DCP or digital <laughs> cinema prints. Basically had to show Hollywood movies because the the idea or the ethos behind the cinema, having been a filmmaker, done the festival circuit for many years. Is trying to make uh, films that aren't so accessible to the public accessible. And mm. that means, I'm, I'm going to get off on tangents all over the place now, but it basically means not having to drive to a car park very, very far away or take public transport to a car park very, very far away. Try and have a cinema within within your town, mm. which you can walk to, uh, pay a very small amount of money and take a punt on a, an unusual film. So... Um, if I do raise thirty-five to forty thousand pounds, I'm hoping we can uh, fit it out for second round, second run, or only art house movies uh, with the projection gear I have. It's yeah. not ideal, and it'll be a real struggle, um, and financially could affect the, the 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 running of the of the cinema. But we could possibly do it, or we could 
you know, try and get more funding. Is, is, is the India, I mean, the, the, the thing that I understand <clears throat> from crowdsourced, crowdfunding, yeah. is that you set a target and you do or do not reach it. Yeah, well, there's, two, your, there's your, two types of crowdfunding. Is, your, is yeah. yours staggered or is it? No, there's two types of crowdfunding. It's Kickstarter, well, several times, but the main two yeah. are Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Kickstarter, you have to get the exact amount or you get nothing. Mm. Uh, Indiegogo, you don't have to get the full amount, but you're fined 4% if you, if you don't get it. So... You can get, you can make only a quarter or a third or a tenth of what you need, mm. but you don't. You get, you get a, a basically a, a small financial fine. So people who would, if the people were to donate money to, to your your fund, yeah, it will be going towards a step towards saving the cinema. Come what Regardless, may. yeah. Okay. I have said, and I've stated this on the site. Um, if you don't get the full amount, uh, and, and we don't, we get so little that it's mm. of no use. Yeah, and we'll pay everyone back uh, and pay back the fees, which I'm quite happy. You know, any of those fees, that yeah, yeah. I'm quite happy to do. But you know, five, five, six days in, we'd made five thousand um, without any big publicity. You know, we're okay. just starting to do the newspaper and the um, and the other media campaigns at the moment. It's literally okay. it just went viral on its own. So. Um, we've got a lot of fundraising events, jazz nights, screenings. It's uh, some ladies locally are having a coffee morning. Wow! You know, there's there's lots and lots and lots of events going on to raise funds. So, what quali- what what would qualify? You know, if people listen to this from outside of the Isle of Wight, mm. so what qualifies you as, and what interest, what made you so interested in wanting to split your life between sort of London and Isle of Wight? So, um, well, I think so. I, you I, could, I can never afford a house in London, yeah. and I lived in Elephant Car. I live in Elephant Castle, which is. Uh, you know, zone one, right in the middle of town, mm. and it, it's where all, you know London yeah. is where a lot of this. Well, unfortunately, a lot of where it all goes off. And I've always been in love with the other white. We used to be my mum and dad used to have a tiny little holiday home there, and I've always been interested in sailing, uh, surfing, mm. uh, scuba diving, anything with an S, basically. And so I, <laughs> I, I, and and, and uh, I'd always wanted to live in Sandown, uh, this place where I live in, because it was it's the sort of bucket and spade resort of the Isle of Wight. Okay, and. Um, a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I got a directing gig um, on Hollyoaks, I think, and um, it gave me a little lump sum to buy a small holiday chalet there. Um, so I could have a, have you know, try and buy a property, as my mm. parents have been telling me to all, all my life, but also get something that could give me time away to where I wanted to write, or if, if you're directing or producing, as you know, it's incredibly intense work, and you're, yeah. you're mentally at risk of breaking down each job you do, you know, and... Uh, it's just to get that bit of R and R, bit of bit, you know, bit of time on the beach, and over time, as I've spent more time on the Isle of Wight, I've got to know people, and 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 then started to run the Isle of Wight Film Festival, which is now in its uh, eighth year. And um, so you instigated that, you instigated that. Yeah, the, the, basically, I uh, wanted to spend more time working in the Isle of Wight. And there was yeah. no film industry, so I had a I had a chat with the UK Film Council and Screen South, as it was then, and said, "Can I um, can I try and uh, make the film industry?" Uh, appear in the Isle of Wight and we had one amazing filmmaker which is Anthony Minghella yeah. who did you know Cold Mountain <coughs> um, uh, English Patient Antonis Ripley one of our most successful Oscar winning directors of all time mm-hmm. sadly not with us um, so I started up the Isle of Wight Short Film Festival um, in the hope to create uh, some, com- some competitive uh, uh, sort of nature on the island between filmmakers and it worked. We suddenly had filmmakers making films that had never made. Well, had filmmakers became plumbers, became filmmakers, or okay, you know, um, we've got a, a couple in their late sixties who, who make films, two, three films every year for the festival. Excellent. And so it, it, it wasn't just about the competition; it was about screening each other's films and having a place to sit and talk and chat and 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 
and then we started like the Isle of Wight Film Network. And so we had, it's grew from about five known filmmakers in the Isle of Wight to 60, 70, 80, and then eventually 110 people in the network. And, Brilliant. And then as, and then very sadly, Anthony Minghella died and I contacted his family and said, can we show one of his films um, at the Isle of Wight Film Festival? And they said, well, actually, we're thinking of doing the same thing. Come along and get involved. So that first year, Jude Law came down and um, uh, uh, Alan Rickman and um, several other pretty big Hollywood-sized stars. Um, We showed, or they showed, all of Anthony's films back-to-back in a marathon. um, Wow. Including some films that people hadn't seen. And um, the following year, they very kindly opened the festival with my film, The Beale and Endall. And I ran the short film, I like short film festivals, part of the Minghella Festival that year. So that, and that went on for three years, and then they they sort of run out of work to show of Anthony's. And I went back to the Isle of Wight Film Festival, and that's now teamed up with Ventnor Fringe, which is a, a, a very fast-growing fringe festival. Yeah. And uh, so we have this pop-up cinema in Ventnor. Uh, it's an old church. Most of the venues are churches, uh, as the fringe, where the fringe festival is. And we have people come from as far away as uh, Miami this year, Germany, France. We've had people from Singapore come show their films. Um, we'd show it, it's now in August, so they can sit on the beach in the daytime. So your experience of the place is really mm. that, that there is an audience for for cinema and, and indeed an audience to fill this cinema that you want to. Yeah, I mean you want to. There's several things going on there. Keep. I, I mean, I, I understand, I understand audiences' tastes because I have to as a filmmaker. Of course. And of course, like well, I met you at Cannes, and yeah. uh, and 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 we have to understand in the world we're in who's going to see what, and we can we can sit there on the closet, open the magazine, and say, well, I think that will do well this year. Mm. And we, 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 you have to be quite good at that. And so it's a natural move from that to programming a cinema. It, it seems like, I bet you both, I mean, I'm sure that we're as good as programming a cinema, possibly as a cinema owner, you know, a, a view or at the Odeon. Right. Because we understand the back end and the front end. We have to, you know. Um, so that seemed like a natural progression. Now, the film festival, we still want to keep it as part of Rent the Fringe. But of course, now this cinema... Um, will give us a permanent base where we can hold workshops, where we can do education strands, um, and where we can use Hollywood movies to subsidise the screening of local and uh, more European movies and allow audiences, as I said before, just a, more access to mm. uh, films that they, they simply wouldn't find. They wouldn't find them on DVD. So there's a chance for sort of British filmmakers to find a place to show films? Absolutely. And, and you know, there's... Uh, we all know that this, the sick. You all know that the, the, how short the runs are of films. You know, by the time you thought, oh, well, I must go and see that, a week's gone and it's gone. Mm. And cinemas won't hold on to things; they can't. There's so many films coming out, and if you're going to be a specialist cinema, well, why not let that run? You know, why not let that film run for a bit and put on a, a, a what could be seen as a more accessible and broader film? Yeah, on the same night afterwards or before, and that can pay. In, in some ways, it can subsidise those those art house or those less accessible films. You've got to remember, a distributor gives you the film for free as a cinema. You just give them fifty percent of your takings. You don't pay to have it on. Mm. You get it free through the courier, and you put your film the, the, these people's films on. So there's no risk from a cinema's point of view. But if if I if I if we get the cinema, which we hopefully will. We can uh, we can set up a model which isn't just about trying to make huge amounts of money. It'd be about having a broad range of uh, of, of 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 films that the audience can go and see. A lot like what Picture House used to do, which we were mm. talking about earlier. You know, showing you know showing those um, uh, 
you know, groundbreaking and unusual groundswell um, filmmakers that are new and exciting or having retrospectives of work that you don't necessarily want to see on DVD. You want to see them on the big screen, you know. I mean, everyone's already said you can have a throwback, throwback Thursday. Are you going <laughs> to have, you know, an old movie on a Thursday? And it's like, well, clearly we're going to have to now. We're going to have to have a, hmm. we'll have to have a seasons of, um, of, of films. And I also, I used to program the Key Arts Cinema, which is the Anthony Mingala Cinema in, um, in Newport in the Isle of Wight. And we had this sort of policy of showing all the Cannes winners and all the Berlin winners and all the Venice winners and all the Toronto winners. Mm. And it worked perfectly because these were normally very unusual films that no one in the UK would even have heard about. Yeah. But um, they knew if they'd been in those film festivals or they'd won those awards, they knew that it was going to be quality. So you were peaking interest that was waiting to be sort of yeah. shown a bit of direction. Exactly. And, um, you know, we had we had 60-odd people in for Babel one week and... Uh, Mainly, mainly ladies in their sixties who were quite shocked at the sex scenes, but but you know all thanking us afterwards for to sh- for showing us something that they'd never in their wildest dreams of mm. watched on telly or even thought about hiring out on DVD. I'm guessing as well if if if, if you if this was to become a success and you're programming it, mm. you can you can do that kind of what I certainly remember. I'm of a certain vintage, and you know in the eighties, mm. local cinemas. If a film turned out to be popular in a surprise sense locally. Mm. You keep it on. Yeah. If, if people are coming to watch it, you don't go. That's the end of its run. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that I mean, that's very that that does happen today still. Showcase mm. Cinemas did that with my film Bill and Endel. It remained in a cinema just outside Liverpool for I think four weeks, oh, maybe right. three weeks, and that was really really unusual. It just so happened that lots and lots of scousers were going to the Showcase Cinema that winter just mm. before Christmas to go and see it because the word had spread out, and the success of things. I think it was adulthood or kidulthood. Which the same distributor Verve, um, they programmed the film into the certain types of cinemas that would, they know would, they knew would like that film. And a film I'm involved in at the moment, Breakfast with Johnny Wilkinson, mm, yeah. rugby film. They're concentrating their films around Richmond, Chiswick, um, other other places where there's big rug, rugby clubs, Twickenham. Um, and, but but yeah, it's an extension of that. You can actually, of course, extend that life. And we're, you know, films like E.T. and um, Star Wars. I, I don't know what their running time, their running months were, but they ran for months and months and months yeah, and yeah, months, yeah. months and months and months. And there's, <clears throat> all right, we, we've only got a small population in Sandown and Champion, but um, we can do that on a small scale. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So how, how big would you, all things being equal, how, how ideally, how big were your, how many people you'd be sitting? Well, the cinema was a 500-seater cinema. Okay. And looking at the old programmes, there used to be something called a stall, a pit stall, the pit, wow. the balcony. Um, and they're all different prices. And um, I started looking into cinema and theatre history. And the balcony was the most expensive place, followed by the stalls, followed by the pit stalls, followed by the pit. And um, Is that cross-legged sat on somebody's knee? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hanging off the rafters. But um, the, the, the weird thing is, is that uh, obviously people today are a lot uh, fatter than um, than people in 1921. You can just tell by the by the... You're never going to fit 500 people in that room okay. anymore. So um, we think what we're going to do is have around about 120 seats in the middle, uh, sofas at the back, tables and chairs down the sides. Mm. So the stalls will be your traditional, what we'd know now as modern uh, cinema seats, the big comfy seats with the cup holders. Uh, sofas behind um, uh, for those who want to relax a bit more and can buy a sofa rather than buy the seat for yeah, yeah. you know, their ticket. Tables and chairs if we have a live event like theatre or, or opera or... Say a football match or yeah. um, the Rugby World Cup or 
nothing like that. Okay, so you you'll use it for events as well as as well as cinema. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so it becomes it'd be, it'd be a community center with a with a big screen. Yeah, it's as much bit, as it's a cinema. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a overused ex, uh, expression, but yeah, community resource really. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously there's there's a large bar in there, 1950s bar, which would like to have a very you know, to be able to put small events on screenings or talks in there, mm. but the auditorium, we're only going to we're going to stick with anything that can go on the big screen. We're not mm. going to go for comedy or live music because the Isle of Wight, the Isle of Wight Festival and the Festival are huge music festivals. Yeah. And the Isle of Wight has an incredible live music scene. Yeah, uh, has one of the best music colleges in the in the country, and produces some of the, some incredible musicians. But it has no shortage of that, and we don't really. We don't really need another. But live but, music but, but with things like that and holiday makers, you you were saying before we started this that how many people are potentially coming to Isle of Wight every year? Yeah, well that's. <coughs> think I, that, I think it's something between one and two million people visit the Isle of Wight, and yeah. um, what we found with the film festival is we were getting people who live in towns where there's no cinema coming to the Isle of Wight on holiday, and that's when they go to the cinema because they can walk from the caravan. Away, because they can, yeah, yeah. And, and that, <laughs> You know, we had we had a family come in to watch a very obscure uh, South African film about drought that I programmed, which I thought was beautiful, called Test mm. the Rain. And um, it's quite violent, it's got quite a lot of sex in it, very slow moving. But mm. they, they they come to the film festival and they just said, we're going to go, we're going to see a film, doesn't matter what, we're just going to see one. Mm. People, of course, do do that. They'll go to the cinema to see what's on. They're not necessarily going to make the journey just because they want to see that specific film. They'll see what's on and if it fits their their rating... Mm. Old day, old with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just go and see it, like the old days. Like when you used to go, we'll go and see something. So um, that's the really exciting thing. You you might get people from any walk of life that that will uh, come and visit the cinema to see something you programmed. In a way, you kind of got a little bit of a captive audience. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You could really bend the brains of some, you know, a family from Birmingham who are, who are down for a week on holiday who end up watching some <laughs> some, you know, you know, uh, Palm Door winning. Um, Film, which and that's 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 what should cinema should be about about exotic stories from around the world as well as yeah. Home, home now the, the kind of the kind of guillotine that's hanging over this is if you doesn't if you don't buy it mm. then what will happen to this this building? yeah well the sad the, the thing that spurred me on obviously is this conservation status being lifted and if it is unfortunately Tony the owner and and uh, who's a lovely man uh, really has no choice but to um, sell it on the open market uh, for development and there is a development. Uh, going on at the same time as this crowdfunding, mm. crowdfunding plans are going in to knock it down and build houses on it. Okay. And um, we've lost so many of these theatres, these cinemas, that we're you know we're, we're down to very few. Mm. And um, you know, just sitting here in London, you know, just Stratham High Street, all across Elephant Castle, Peckham had sixteen cinemas. You know, they they've they've gone at such a pace during the eighties and the nineties with the boom, economic mm. boom. This one is uh, like, as I said in other other press, it's like finding an old rare car in a in a garage. You wouldn't get that car out and scrap it, you, you and, and then put a new car in the garage. You'd, you yeah. know, you would do that, and that, and that we kind of have a responsibility to our yeah. cultural past. Yeah. Well, I I feel I do to try and save it. Yeah, and the response locally has been incredible. Yeah, so that, but yeah, as you say, the guillotine is if we don't if we don't save it, it it'll be gone. So for Brit for Britflix listeners, um, they can contribute as little as. Little as a pound. Little as a pound. Um, and if you haven't got a pound, then just tell other people. Um, okay. Tell people who have got a pound. I mean, there's lots of perks you can buy on the, on the crowdfunding. You can buy uh, tickets. You can buy seats. You can buy uh, a lifetime discount at the cinema. You can even buy advertising on the big screen. Okay. Um, and what's been really exciting, we've had people in 
So how much is this? How much would it cost to get a seat then? What, what are you... A seat's two hundred pounds, and that and that gives you um, that gives you. Uh, I should know all these off by heart, but that gives you uh, twenty tickets, free popcorn. Yeah. Um, and basically, if we replace the seat, you'll have it. You can have it and take it home. Okay. So you'll have your name on the back of it as well. Brilliant. And there'll be offers once those twenty tickets are run out to renew that at a discounted price. Okay. So we're not really just asking for free money to put into the project. We're, yeah. all, we're also trying to give something back. And you might say, well, what you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't live in the Isle of White House. It's going to benefit me. Well, you know, we, as I said, we've had people buy buy seats from far away as America and, and, and Amsterdam. And um, I guess, I guess, if you're if you're one of those sort of altruistic people that wants to help, then mm. you're saving a bit of cinema history. And if you're a cinephile, well. Um, you know, it's kind of your responsibility, isn't it? To, is there any, to, to is there try any, and put something Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Is there any stories, any any particular moments in the history of that cinema that's worth, that's worth recounting? Well, we've it? had, yeah, doing the research, we found, found all sorts of interesting things. I mean, as I said, a bit of number 21, the first film shown there was called His Majesty King Edward, um, which I can't seem to find very easily, um, but it doesn't seem like it was the most entertaining film. I think it was a very, very funny film in 1921. Okay. Um, I think it was made around 1915 and was one of those films that sort of repeated on a 10-minute reel. There was also Drummond, who was a detective. That that showed um, when it was converted in the 1930s, we think. And that was shown over and over and over again. And Drummond mm. was this detective character who um, seemed to have a lot, a bit of a Flashman-type character, had lots and lots and lots mm. of different films made about him. Um, apparently, during the Second World War, it was absolutely rammed full of American soldiers. Mm. Um which is interesting in itself, that the Isle of Wight, of course, was covered in American soldiers getting ready for D-Day landing. Mm. And local people have told us about how the film reels used to come in during the war uh, on ships with no lights on, taken to the pier, and then they would have to take them up into the dark to show the newsreels on in the cinema, because it, for the town it was their television. Yeah. They didn't know what was going on, just over the water. Um, and Isle of Wight was a, was a big target. Yeah, yeah, It was yeah, the last yeah. place that the French, in, in fact, the French invaded in the 16th century, so... But Hitler, it, was, it would be the natural place to get first before he took over um, uh, Portsmouth and then the rest of the country. So it was, um, and then, and then, and then more, more recently, we've heard from people that it basically showed sex films in the 1960s. It showed nudie, nudist films um, pretty much day and night. So it was where you went as a young lad in, in the Isle of Wight to go and see um, <laughs> really? soft pornography. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's had an interesting life. And then, of course, it turned to a bingo hall and, and then a costume warehouse, which is, has been till till last week. So, okay. yeah, it's, it, it seems to hold a lot of fond memories of people. That that on the Isle of Wight Heritage Group and on the Facebook site, there's been stories coming out. Excellent. And a, a, a lovely, lovely lady, elderly lady today, turned up at the front door with a check for fifty pounds because her mother used to be cashier there and uh, oh. wanted to um, give us fifty pounds and, 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 and recount stories of, of what a wonderful place it was. And tell us about the decor inside, which was green and orange apparently. Um, which I'm not sure we'll put back. We'll, we'll, we might go for the deep red velvet uh, mm. look with gold trim rather than uh, rather than green and orange. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I hope I hope it will become uh, a place which local children's. We got we got one thousand six hundred kids at the local school um, who can't get to the cinema um, without travelling on a very expensive public transport, and I, and I hope it's a place where uh, these these sort of kids get out of their bedrooms, stop gaming for a little bit, um, and, and go out and, and and you can see the world through a cinema, can't you? Of course you can. So um, I hope that's the. I hope we're instrumental in that way of, of changing the town and holiday makers' experiences. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, well, look, uh, Bruce. We'll we'll put a link up for Excellent. for the Indiegogo uh, campaign and where people can. So it's basically the message is 
even if you can't give a pound, then tweet and Facebook it and publicise it to all your network of friends. But yeah. you can, but you can go on and donate as little as a pound if if you feel if you feel that way. Yeah, and if you do want to buy a seat, we're, we're, what we're hoping to do is in the old projection room, which we're not too sure we need that, is to try and uh, put a little uh, sofa bed in there. Don't tell the planning people. Um, so if you do buy a seat, um, I can't guarantee it, but I can fairly much promise it. Um, you can always um, stay the night upstairs in the old projection room and. Uh, and uh, use your seat allocation up. <laughs> That's a fantastic thing. Now, Bruce, now we've got a bit of time left on the podcast, so I'll, do, I'll bring in some of the, the, the old format of what I do normally when I've got people in, and as you are a, a director and producer, okay. we can talk generally about film. <clears throat> the question, there's two questions I ask people, um, uh, and I'll give, I'll give you as a chance so you can think about it. The, the first, Because uh, we're in Halloween, I've been asking about British horror films. Now, maybe horror films not your bag, so what I'll do is... I did a bit about it at college, but yeah. I used to be big into my uh, brain dead. I saw three times in the cinema. Actually. But maybe maybe given given Isle of Wight, the location for the cinema, and, and maybe maybe in a, a British film about about sat somewhere set in the south of England that you could you could recommend a British film that's on the Isle of Wight if if there's oh there if, was some there are some uh, Isle of Wight made films actually I was looking at this recently all sort of 1950s or fairly yeah. obscure bits of cinema so what are you asking me what uh, yeah you, you recommend us an, an Isle of Wight feature film I can't you? I can't actually off the top of my head because um, I can't remember the names of them because they are quite obscure do you want to give us a recommendation for a British film that maybe doesn't get the kudos it deserves um yeah. Uh, the, uh, this has a link into the Isle of Wight because it's sort of set by the by the seaside. Uh, it's uh, Local Hero. It's, it's one of the films I seem to have watched over and over and over again. Mm. And it has uh, great themes that kind of fit, fit in with the Isle of Wight Film Festival because we have an environmental and a human rights section mm. in the Isle of Wight Film Festival. We always have Amnesty International supports us on that. And the Isle of Wight has always been seen as a very green and e- environmentally progressive and uh, eco place. Now, Local Hero is a is really a film about an oil company trying to take over a beautiful place, and mm. uh, the locals saying, "Yeah, uh, we just want the millions. We don't care what happens to it." And actually, the guy from the oil company um, stops the development happening. So it's a bit like the cinema. Um, it the developers want to come in and knock it down to make the money back. Um, uh, the local uh, the locals um, would like to have their cinema. Um, but also want to see the town developed, and um, so they're kind of two got do kind of tied together. I think Local Hero is a strange film in that um, it's about a feeling, necessarily about not necessarily about a hard narrative plot mm. that that screams forward at a million miles an hour. Um, it's a very gentle film. Um, you can watch it over and over again and see new pieces within it. And I remember yeah. the, the scale model of the. You remember that? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it's got some pretty, pretty, pretty. You know, strange cast in it as well, but um, I think um, yeah, that that is one British film which is starting to get more recognition than it is. Yeah. Um, going back to the horror thing, um, American Wealth in London yeah, uh, is probably my favourite um, British horror film, and and I know it's a cliche, and I know it, it, it's already celebrated, but to me, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. But to be honest with you, I've just I've, we uh, the time recording this, I just published the uh, top ten British horror films of which. The readers voted American Wealth in London number three. Number three really? in, of, okay. of the choices yeah. we gave them. Yeah, and uh, and of the hundreds of people that responded, nobody pointed this out to me. And when it goes live, I get told by a couple of people, "It's not a that, that's not a British horror film." And I'm like, right. "Well, it's perceived as one because yeah. I certainly yeah. was it. It was in my top five. Yeah, yeah. 
to choose one of my top five, yeah. and I've looked at other, but but it's it's an American director. Yeah, it's yeah. a and one person who as American as it's about as British as James Bond. Is yeah, yeah, but yeah. but I would say that it, it in in the in the canon of British cinema, it is it is it feels like it is a British film. I would say. American. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of the crew were British. Yeah, I mean, well, certainly the locations. Well, somebody, exactly, but somebody did say to me then: nobody thinks that the third man is an Austrian film, which no, I did think was a fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know everyone thinks Harry Potter is a British film, but you know, it's, and and as I said, James Bond is a yeah. film. But I mean, they might qualify under cultural rules mm. today, but um, yeah, they're probably not. But um, yeah, American Wealth in London was absolutely terrifying, and it's got Rick Mail in it, which is the you know yeah. the most obscure. Thing about it, at the very, very beginning. well, Mike, the comment I wrote, uh, sort of as a little sentence to say why I thought American Wealth in London was so brilliant, was more the um, the way they show a man metamorphosizing and coming to terms with being a werewolf, which through that horrible nightmare where he witnesses his whole family get killed by Nazi zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then he and then his own throat gets slit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Well, they're repeating scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, the, which funny enough is cut from the TV version whenever it's on. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, so it's a, it's um yeah it's a fascinating film. It's also strange that you laugh a lot um, um during it, mm. and you also get absolutely terrified. And I think today it still scares me slightly. Mm. There's a, there's another film which I found was utterly inspiring, which is uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Talking um, about horror films, mm. I saw that three I think it was three or four times in Nottingham at the, at the cinema, and I've never done that before with a film. I just thought it was so hilarious. Then I went and saw it over and over again, and that was kind of my last, my last um, film I went to see. This last horror film that I was sort of obsessed about. I guess as you get older, you your your horror tastes mature, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the last I, I, brilliant, I, I, most brilliant horror film I saw was called Vertige, which is a French rock climbing horror film. I don't know that one. Which is was absolutely utterly terrifying, and a lot of modern uh, horror films don't scare me that much. Yeah, because I can see what's coming with Vertige. Um, yeah, also called High Lane. I think it was released in America. Called High oh, okay. Lane. That uh, scared the shit out of me. And it's and it's and it's rock climbing and horror. Very odd. Right then. Well, the one final question I ask everybody that comes on, and well, you can either put your producers hat on, or your directors hat on, or whichever yeah. one you want to do. <clears throat> if there was a chance for you to get your hands on a on a film and redo it, and you could fix it if you think there was something broke with it, or you can just basically be the director at the helm of a film, what would that be? I, I, you'd warn me about this question and I thought of a brilliant one and now you've asked me again I've gone completely blank my my, my kind of other other second favourite film it's a real weird one is Ice Cold and Alex which is um, those of people who don't know it it's uh, Johnny Mills and Sylvia Sim uh, World War 2 um, oh darling it. we're stuck in the desert oh yes, yes, yes. I'd probably all shot at Twickenham Studios or something or in the dunes in Saunton or something But um, quite a famous lager drinking scene lager, that got, yeah, that got Carl, abused Carl, by advertisers in the 80s Carlsberg scene at the end um, I was <coughs> on an Aker Tank movie mm. um, and I quite often have people around and say come on you've got to watch this film I've got an Alex and they say what the hell are you putting on and because it's 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 tension uh, only works because over the period of time of the film, the tension goes right the way up to the very end when they're drinking this pint. And um, I'd love to, I doubt you could ever make it any better, but I'd love to be able to remake that with um, the, the side stars that they were then. Mm. So, you, you, you know, a film about um, people trying to help each other against all adversity. Yeah, because you've got a German prisoner of war, haven't you? And yeah, so you're like, Quinn, was it? it's like whether or not, do you actually trust someone? Yeah. And can yeah. you trust someone? It's like, you're perceived to be the bad guy. We are the good guys, but actually... 
we're in such a pickle that yeah. sides are not about this. This is about survival, which is a yeah. very human thing in the end. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think that's with both those films. You might say, well, they're quite twee and you know, um, um, local hero. They're both quite twee, old-fashioned films, but. With all the modern technology we have and the billions we can spend on making movies, I think the, the key point is you don't need all this to tell a good story. Mm. You just need actors moving within a frame. You don't necessarily mean the frame moving around the place. Mm. If if you're going to tell a great story, um, um, you don't need CGI. You don't need special effects necessarily. And I think that's what we're kind of all relying on these days: the bigger bangs and the the bigger the bigger um, effects. James Grace talks about this. You know the guy who did uh, We on the Night. Um, right. Right. He talked about um, that maybe we're losing the uh, losing the ability to tell a story because you know it's that idea of we keep he used the analogy if we keep feeding people McDonald's mm. when you offer them sushi mm. no matter what the hell's this yeah I totally agree and having uh, with with Bill and Endel it won a, it won a few awards and uh, and and I was then invited onto lots and lots of juries. Mm. Um, at various different film festivals around the world and so I would have to watch 16 feature films in a week for instance and um, the record we did was 32 shorts and features in one week which, but I saw some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen in my life mm. and you know one of them we programmed at the Ottawa Film Festival very obscure Dutch film called Dusk about teenagers that mm. one of them kills each other which is a true story that's left an indelible mark on my, on, my, on my brain I'll never ever ever forget that film mm. as long as I live and it was a really simple story set in a car and about three houses in a field. Mm. Um, but the writing performance uh, was, and just the lighting, everything about it was so skillful and so beautiful. And um, I'll give that any day, that you know, that hour and a half. You could you could give me twenty Batman or, or superhero films, and I'd still wouldn't remember them as much as I remember that single film. And that was just, it's about the quality of the, of the, of the storytelling. Well, on that on that thought, I think we'll. Uh... We'll end the podcast, sir. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Real pleasure. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.